All right, I'm checking back in because we're having a hard time finding this place. That's the hard time with uh, secret places. You, they, if they're too secretive, you can't find them. It's a Friday night in Brooklyn, New York, and I am searching desperately for this one secret door. It's exclusive, members only. My friend Diana and I have been walking in circles looking for the entrance to a building that will lead us to a very grandiose dinner. What number is that? We got no numbers. Looks like it might be in something like this. Right? This feels nice. We're not sure if this place is well hidden or we're just dumb. But the secrecy of this place makes us feel like kids on Easter Sunday looking for eggs hidden behind bushes and trees. It is not easy to find. Yo, dinner will be a Bushwick. We in Bushwick, right? We at the right place? That's that we on Stag Street? We sure? <laughs> Let's make sure we on Stag Street. I also haven't been to Brooklyn in a minute, so these streets, they're hard for me to get around. A few minutes later, we spot a line. Assuming this is where people are waiting to enter for dinner. That would make sense. I smelt it. Yep. Now there's a distinct odor in the air. Seems to be drawing them inside. Yes, the smell of something delicious, but not just anything. It's the smell of cannabis, y'all. You know that smell. It's herbal, strong, and if you're like me, you ain't mad at it. Yo, we found it. I'm glad we're here. We've made it. We're at a private cannabis dinner club called 99th Floor. Oh, you know, because uh, we're about to get high. You get it? 99th Floor? That's a bad joke. I'm sorry about that. You got to take every shot. But seriously, this dinner is not about smoking weed. This is about infusing cannabis with food. And one of the headmasters and brainchild of this beautiful special dinner baby is none other than my boy, Chef Miguel Trinidad. My name is Miguel Trinidad. I am the, one of the founders of 99th Floor. It's a private cannabis dinner club. I am a chef by trade, Dominicano by origin, and a disruptor for life. Today we're going to talk about the art of cooking with weed, how Chef Miguel got started in this industry, and how he is using these dinners to destigmatize the stereotype of cannabis, especially for brown folks. My name is Christopher Rivas, and this is Brown Enough, stories between black and white. Let's go eat some weed, y'all. Cheers to a great day and this ice-cold Corona. You know what would make this day even better? My grandma's carne asada. Or your grandma here with us, making carne asada. She does love a cold Corona. Throw in some dancing. Oh, we can watch the game. I'll drink to that. So a backyard concert with football, food, dancing, and Corona? And your grandma. Or we could keep it simple. Simple is good. Want a Corona? Thanks. Salute to the perfect day. Corona, la vida más fina. Get your Corona at ordercorona.com. Relax responsibly. Corona Extra Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. I first met the maestro, Chef Miguel Trinidad, when he was running a restaurant called Jeepney in New York. Oof, this was some of the most delicious Filipino food I'd ever had. 
It was there where I first tried balut, this really tasty fertilized duck egg. Yes, I know what many of y'all are thinking, but I swear. This was the best new thing I'd had in a while, and it is a very popular delicacy in the Philippines. Sadly, Jeepney is no longer with us, but Chef Miguel is still cooking up some magic in the kitchen, y'all. And here is where we get into the 99th floor. The origins of 99th floor began around 2015, when Chef Miguel met his business partners. One of their first dinners was held in a warehouse someplace out in L.A., These dinners are invite only, but luckily for me, I am on the guest list tonight and ready to enjoy a five-course gourmet dinner. Before heading in, I had to stop a few people who were coming out to ask them what they had just experienced. And not much to my surprise, most of them were carrying huge smiles on their faces. How did you find out about this? Um, I have a co-worker that knows Doug, the, the part owner, so that's why I'm here. For my friend's birthday, too. Hey, happy birthday. What's your name? Can you stand here because of the wind? What's your name? Nicole. Hi, Nicole. What did you just experience? I just went to the 99th floor with my bestie. (laughs) She's really high. Was it good? It was good. It was good. Do you feel good? I do. What are y'all doing now? (laughs) We're going to walk to Linda Street and we're going to get... A burrata pie and some sorbet with um, eat a olive, oil. <laughs> olive oil and salt. What is this going on? FYI, this is a five-course gourmet dinner that also includes dessert. So I'm pretty sure the munchies have just kicked in for them, and they are heading towards another dessert spot outside of the 99th yeah. floor. Yeah. Well, enjoy. Anything else we should know about the dinner we're walking into? Um, dessert. And don't be nervous. Okay. It is so safe. Good. Like, you feel so held. It's amazing. Now, it was my turn to head in, and oof, what can I say? This is one of the best experiences I have ever had involving cannabis. Nothing like my college years. So, I had to call up Chef Miguel to talk about this fine dining. No one left your dinner. You know, I saw the attendees before my session, you know, not just giggling. Like all that I noticed happened was that we all came in and then by the end, everybody is just louder, smiling more, laughing more, having more fun, enjoying the music more. What is the art of that? Or what is the difference between your dinner and the one, the the thing in college with the brownies that go wrong? Well, you know, that's a great question because, you know, most people who have dabbled with edibles have had that experience where you're just holding on to the couch and you're just waiting for the ride to end. For me, it was very important that if we stepped out and did this, that we held people by the head and made sure that they were okay. You know, and we do that for several reasons. We wanted to destigmatize cannabis through the universal language of food, you know, growing up, growing up in a Latino household, cannabis was, you know, a gateway drug, devil's lettuce. It's like you could drink and get drunk at every single family party, but if you smoked one joint, you were probably disowned by the family. (laughs) All right. So we wanted to change that conversation and we could not do that if we did not dose people properly. Okay. If we were to go in and just, have a heavy hand when it came to the infusions a lot of people would not be open to giving it a try 
you know, like you said, Diana came and she doesn't really smoke, but she had an amazing time at this dinner and she was completely comfortable. For me, it was very important that that was our key factor when making these meals is microdose, make sure that everybody's in a comfortable environment, have amazing music, like-minded individuals, a, a, an amazing space. And then food, you know, the food is the delivery system for cannabis, but the food itself, there's so much attention to detail when it comes to the food. You know, everything that we do when it comes to menu is based on the strain that we're choosing very much like going to the farmer's market and picking something. You want to get the best flour that we have available and take that flavor profile and create this menu in order to add to the experience. That night, there were about 20 guests. Everyone seated next to each other like a nice Passover dinner. The music was dope, classic 90s hip-hop songs. The people were great, and the food was out of this world. We were greeted with a cannabis tincture drink. Oyster Rockefellers were served, sea scallops, some duck, just to name a few. Everything was perfect. The chefs were cooking and doing their magic in the same space that we sat. So there was this performance element to it right in front of us that made things even more exciting. So not anyone can attend 99th floor. Why are these dinners so exclusive? Because you got to be down in order to get down. I mean, you got, <laughs> that's basically it. You have to know somebody um, in order to get in. You know, there's, there's a whole process. Um, you know, we have a lot of requests from people that tell us that they can smoke an ounce or, you know, just smoke all day. And that's not our clientele. You know, we are, we're, we're an elevated dinner club. So we want the right people at our events. Uh, we want people who want to enjoy food, who are connoisseurs, who are there for the experience. Not, it's not about getting high. We don't allow people to smoke at our events because we want you to feel the effects from the food and the experience. I thought the environment you set was, I mean, like vibes, like your VP of vibes. Is that you? Are you the VP of vibes? Because everything you mentioned, the music, the way the door opens, the little drink that starts us off for the night, um, is the environment in relation to food or is the environment in relation to cannabis or both? The music, the food, the environment, they all go hand in hand. You know, when it comes to the music being played, my business partner has been a DJ, you know, for most of his life. So, you know, we want to play to the crowd. For example, pre-COVID, we did a uh, we did an event for like 280 people, and this was out in Brooklyn, uh, in the Gowanus area, a huge space. The theme was Great Gatsby, so it was all black tie. And the music was completely different. You know, we had a live jazz performance. We had great uh, classical music being played in the background. It added to the experience because everybody was decked out. I mean, everybody just looked amazing when they walked in. Uh, so each event is thought out in a way where we want our guests to feel a certain way.
you give me an example of some of your favorite dishes you've made? <sighs> There's so many to choose from. I would say, all right, for for um, the last dinner, the raviolo was oh, probably one of the killer. best. <laughs> oh my god, it was so amazing. <laughs> I've had, you know, some family came down from Connecticut, um, my, my lady's family, and they were, we were up there this past weekend for a wedding. The whole family wants to come down. And, and it's <laughs> great because it's a large Italian family. Very few of them consume cannabis. But after hearing about this meal, now everybody wants to come down. So this is the goal is to destigmatize that negative um those negative thoughts about cannabis and food um the raviolo was fantastic uh lamb chops are always a hit there's a dish that i do with aged sliced ribeye and szechuan noodles that's one of the absolute favorites and then you you go comfort you know i, I do a um a beef consomme with spetzel which, I mean, I can taste it right now as I'm talking about it. Uh, there's so many. The, the thing that blew me away was that Oysters Rockefeller. That thing was killer. <laughs> that was fun because, you know, we're just taking a classic recipe and it's like, all right, let me take something that's extremely classic, well-known, something that you'll see at, at very fancy dinners and then just 99 Florida, right? That was fun. That was That was delicious, too. Now, I can't give away the secrets of how Chef Miguel cooks with cannabis because I don't know them. They are a secret for a reason. But there is precise measuring that is involved on how much cannabis he is using to make things tasteful and to get the right body response. So what does microdose actually mean? Like, how do you measure how much cannabis goes into each dish like where do you begin in this idea of micro dosing well when i think about micro dosing it's like i think about a number that's comfortable for people right uh 25 milligrams is a comfortable number when you're eating five courses you know it's not like you're eating a gummy that's 25 milligrams each course is about five milligrams and the components of each course kind of provide that delivery system and absorption rate. So if I'm doing something extremely light, like a summer salad, greens with a vinaigrette using an, a non-saturated fat, it's going to absorb into your system a whole lot quicker than, than if I'm using a, um, an animal fat. Hmm. So I can slow down the process by providing some heavy starches or some carbs It'll slow things down, or I can speed it up and go lighter with a vinaigrette, a soup, a uh, ceviche. So starch makes it slower to get into our body? Well, think about it. It's like you, your body's going to break down carbs a lot slower than it's going to break down vegetables. Yep. So the absorption rate is different. So if I'm making a pasta dish, I make sure to infuse uh, the dough that I'm making the pasta from. So as your body's breaking it down, it takes a little longer than if I was doing a ceviche where it's like, you know, I'm infusing the leche de tigre and, you know, you're drinking that and it's just shooting right into your bloodstream. Which 
ties into my next question. Can the cannabis be put into anything, any substance, any form? Yes. Yes. And yes. What flavor, spicy, savory, acidic go best with cannabis? Depends on the strain. So uh-huh. if you're using something like a sour chem, sour chem is earthy, right? Uh, it goes great with chocolate. I was making um, a chocolate ice cream and I dropped some sour chem into it and it gives off some cinnamon notes. So it tastes like a, like a Mexican hot chocolate. Hmm. Right. So when you get that aroma, that was a happy mistake. I'm like, well, if it's giving me these, this Mexican hot chocolate vibe, adding a little bit of cayenne pepper and then a sweet sour note, like um, cherries was the birth of our four C's ice cream, which is cannabis, cayenne, cherry and chocolate um if you're using something that's very citrusy uh then it vinaigrettes go great with it so it all depends on the strain the strains each have their own terpene profile and the terpenes are flavors you find terpenes in you know in cannabis and grapes and cherries it's the flavor notes so those notes determine what i'm going to pair with in order to make the cannabis star. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Miguel is going to tell us his journey of becoming a chef and what his Dominican mama thinks about cooking with cannabis. Stay with us, y'all. And we are back with Chef Miguel Trinidad of 99th Floor. Can you tell me about your journey of becoming a chef? And did you go to culinary school? You know, first, I also want to say, like, I I went to a conservatory, right? We had all the arts at my college, right? You had your theater, your dance, your music school, your animation. And I always felt like the one art that was missing was was culinary, was cooking. Like cooking is definitely an art. And I think we as a culture recognize that with all our top chefs and um, and shows and documentaries. And we are obsessed with, you know, the ins and outs of food, this art form. Uh, so what was your journey into entering the art form? My journey into entering the art of food was i mean i've been in the restaurant industry since i was 17 um worked every aspect from delivery boy to counter person a server bartender manager done it all uh i've always had this attraction to food and different types of food and different different ethnicities so being involved in the service industry i started catering catering was going really well I decided to open up my own catering business that started taking off and doing really well. Then nine 11 hit and 75% of my business was gone. So fast forward to 2005, I, I just happened to be sitting in front of a TV and I'm looking at this commercial for ice, the Institute of culinary education. And I said, you know what? I should go ahead and do this. And 
my girlfriend at the time said, well, don't talk shit. Just go ahead and do it. <laughs> and literally the next day I got up, I went down to ICE and I enrolled. I did the work study program. So I was working for the school in order to pay for my tuition. And that put me on a different level because I already, I enjoyed cooking. I already knew how to cook, but I didn't understand techniques. And I was able to work with chefs from around the globe that would come down to visit and showcase what they knew. I had access to a pantry that was full of ingredients that I had never seen in my life. So I got to taste these ingredients and work with them. So when it came time to actually take the course, my knowledge of technique and ingredients was way ahead of everybody else. And, you know, we would break off into teams and everybody would give our, you know, friendly, friendly nudges, you know, you guys think you're top chef and everything because we all worked for the school and we all had this same knowledge. So we already had the experience of working together and you understood what the dance was. That also allowed us to be a lot more creative because we were pulling from our ethnicities and blending them together. On my team, there was an Italian dude, there was this Puerto Rican, German girl, that was myself who's Dominican, you know, and we just, we enjoyed food so much that we fed off of each other's desire to create something different. And we pushed each other to invent new things. I remember one chef that I worked with, Richard Rubin, was the first chef that I actually worked with. And he said, food is a living art. You can go ahead and create the best dish ever and get tons of accolades. And one person can come and just change one ingredient and make it different or better. So take your ego and throw it out the door. So there was no ego when it came to cooking. It was just about creating and having that love for the art. You feel intersectional in the way that you are combining cannabis and food. When I first met you, you were a Dominican man cooking at a bomb-ass Filipino restaurant. <laughs> um, did you ever get any sort of pushback about that from people, like this Dominican Dominican man running, you know, this Filipino spot? Or is that what being a chef allows you to do? It allows you to be anything and cook anything. Man, you know what? Uh, I got a lot of pushback, you know, both from Dominicans and Filipinos, right? So Dominicans were like, yo, why are you doing this and you're not cooking our food? <laughs> and I'm like, well, this is just the place that I'm at right now. It doesn't mean that I won't cook Dominican food. It's just this is where I'm at right now. And Filipinos would come in and ask me, you know, they'd be like, who's the chef? So I'd come out of the kitchen and they would look at me and be like, you're not. Filipino, how do you know how to cook our food? And my response to that was, have you ever made spaghetti? They're like, of course. I'm like, but you're not Italian. So how are you making spaghetti? It's like, I went to the Philippines and I backpacked for three and a half months from the most Northern point to the most Southern tip and learned 
the cuisine and how it changed from region to region and came back and wanted to do right by it. I wanted to make sure that I wasn't bastardizing the food, that I was true to what it was, that I had knowledge about its origins and what it took to make the food. And I made Filipinos proud. Now, did I change it up a little? Absolutely. Did I put my own twist on stuff? Yes. Did it change it from what it was? No, because the flavor profile was there. Like, I refuse to use any of the, um, I, I refuse to cheat. There's a lot of packets, seasoning packets that you can throw in. And I'm like, no, I'm going to go back to the roots. I want to learn how it was being made before these seasoning packets and these shortcuts came to be. So for me, it was very important to go back to those heirloom recipes and make them right. And then, of course, put my own twist on it, you know, add a little bit of Dominican flavor to it. Mm-hmm. And that led to, you know, huge success with both Maharlika and Jeetney. What Dominican dishes do you like to cook? Do you cook Dominican dishes at home? What's, what's some top ones for the folks out there? Number one, beans. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, the beans have to be right. I mean, rice and beans, my, my daughter can eat that every single day. And Same. she's not even two. She loves it. Um, lambi, which is conch. And my mother has a recipe that's, you know, it, it can be two ways with Spanish influence, tomato, olives, and onion, and then more of a ceviche style for summertime. I can eat that any time of day or night. Any type of seafood that uh, we cook, uh, pescado con coco, eh, camarones, um, enchilados that's how my mother calls them but it was oh there was no spice to it it was just tomato sauce onions olives peppers and vinegar and i mean you know whenever she wants to get the family together she makes her steak and it's a thin minute steak that's cooked in these spices served with rice and beans if my mom says hey i'm making steak this weekend you know the whole family's going over <laughs> So it's something that I enjoy cooking as well. But I'll tell you this, my lady is Italian and she makes that dish better than I do. Is your mom's biste the one you like smack down with the hammer? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's like they're going to turn, first of all, they're going to cut it super thin and pound it with a mallet. You know, if you go to the butcher, we say pasarlo por la máquina, right? So it's a tenderizing machine. Um, and that, that hands out my mom that's the family's favorite dish when miguel was first introduced to cannabis like many of us it was all about getting high but as he got older and learned about the medicinal benefits of marijuana his mind started to change about it however someone who has not changed their thoughts about it is his dominican mama There are people out there who, I just have to say this, it's because I know you and I know your food, right? Because I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of your food before I became a fan of you, the person, and then you, the person matches your food, which is wonderful. That like, never before meeting you would I ever go to one of these dinners because of my college experiences, (laughs) you know, like truly. Um, 
because I have one where I really remember just like two days of like, this is never again, like never again. Am I just pouring a bunch of like oil and stuff? Um, so there are people out there who have this experience. Like you said, there are people who think it's a gateway drug. There's your own history, um, of, of, of Latino stigma, stigmatizing of, of cannabis. You've told this story about your, your Dominican mother, uh, in interviews, I'd love to sort of revisit that. Like what she say or think when you told her you were working with cannabis, have you told her, her what's her experience with cannabis? Yeah. <laughs> My mother's reaction when I told her is like, mom, listen, it's going to come out. It's like, I'm cooking with cannabis. Okay. I'm like, marijuana, mommy. I'm cooking with marijuana. Hey, mijo, you're going to end up in jail. You're going to end up in jail. <laughs> That's it. I know. Tu vas a que vas a preso. I'm like, mom, it's okay. I'm not going to jail for this. You know, it's like I'm using it in a very responsible way. I'm trying to educate people on how to consume it. I'm pairing it with food. So I'm not out there slinging, you know, weed on the corner. And she goes, well, you might as well, because that's exactly what's going to happen. And it took, <laughs> listen, we started doing this seven years ago and I'm still trying to convince my mother that it's okay. You know, <laughs> she has, she has ingested it. She has used topicals. Um, I've given her edibles for her to try and it has a, um, it does affect her in a positive way. However, She's, she still believes, and this is going back to, you know, Nancy Reagan days where it's like, you know, drugs are just bad. It's like she's been brainwashed that it is horrible. The cannabis is just terrible and you're going to end up in jail. You know, she, she has taken edibles that I've given her for sleep and for pain. And then when she knows she has a doctor's appointment, she's like, oh, I don't want to touch it because they're going to find it in my bloodstream and I'm going to go to jail. Like nobody's putting a 70 year old woman in for taking some cannabis to go to sleep. So it's, I'm, st I'm still trying to convince her and I know what it's going to take. It's going to take for a doctor to say here, you should use this for her to actually believe that it's good. Can Which you, is the case with so many Latinos. You're going to have to hire someone to dress like a doctor, like give them some scrubs. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm just going to have just, to get my degree, my PhD and be yeah. like, <laughs> Uh, what is the future of 99 Floor, or what is your future as a chef? Well, my future as a chef and 99th Floor, there's definitely a Dominican restaurant coming at some point. Mm, cool. And it's something that I've been working on for years, and you know, we that that momentum was slowed down because of the pandemic. So it's still there. Like the plan is still there. It's all a matter of getting the right people and investors involved when it comes to 99th floor, you know, we're still pushing the envelope with destigmatizing cannabis and educating our communities on how to use it properly. And eventually down the road, we do see a product line uh, being released. Uh, but what's most important is to continue to educate 
and let people know that, hey, this is actual medicine and you can have it in any form. Like you can have a sancocho that's infused, right? It's going to take all, away all your pain. And you'll sleep great. You know, I, I want to wean our communities away from all this manufactured medicine and educate them on what's right when it comes to cannabis and how it can help our bodies, our minds, and our spirits. Thank you so much, Miguel, for inviting me to your dinner. I had an incredible time and a special shout out and thank you to the rest of the incredible staff at 99th Floor. Y'all are amazing. Everyone, go to a 99th Floor dinner. And please, Miguel, make it down to L.A. Bring that Dominican food here. I am in need of a spot to eat at. Some delicious, authentic Dominican food. Thank you, brother. Thank you, everyone listening. Peace and love. Brown Enough is a production of Stitcher Studios. It's created and hosted by me, Christopher Rivas, and I'm also an executive producer. Our team includes producer Manolo Morales, technical director Casey Holford, production assistant Gabriella Gladney, and executive producer Camille Stanley. Original music by Casey Holford. Special thanks to Abby Aguilar. Workhouse Media is a contributing producer to this podcast. Carlos E. Hernandez of Ikigai Management is also an executive producer of Brown Enough. Don't forget to subscribe or follow Brown Enough so you never miss an episode. Thanks. Peace and love.